0: The home of time. It
1: is now quite a day for local sport from your local team.
0: This is Charlton Live. (laughs) Charlton (laughs) Live.
2: So a Very good evening to you and welcome to Channel Live. This is the big match preview here on Maritime Radio. My name is Louis Mendes, and joining me in the studio as we uh, gear up to look ahead to Saturday's game with uh, Southend United here at the Valley is Mr. Tom Wellingadian, Tom.
3: Good, yeah. good, yeah, yeah, you?
2: Yeah, I've had a good week.
3: It's been all right, yeah. yeah. No football on a Tuesday, yeah, which is know, a bit weird because that's you know, been a while.
2: has uh, um, to do with watching the England game on. Uh, yeah, uh, that was, uh, yeah, that was not so good. Yeah, and Carl uh, Robinson's uh, training of. Uh, Delhi Alli obviously didn't include him. Not swearing at Carl it Walker, did it? naughty boy. Yeah, naughty boy. Never mind. <laughs> On tonight's show, uh, we're going to hear from Carl Robertson of course. Actually, a couple of times he's like we say, preview the. Game with Southend. He's also talking about uh, something that uh news shopper reporter Jake Bacon picked up today. He's now the longest serving channel manager under Roland Duchatelet. Uh which it's is about three weeks. Yeah, which is sort of you know same 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 sort of level as prize like the tallest midget or something like that. <laughs> yeah. But you know, he's he's done it, he's a feat nonetheless. Yeah, and uh, yeah he, he's achieved that. And then uh, so we're gonna hear from Robbo there. We're gonna uh, hear from now. There's a brand new Cheltenham Live feature coming up, which uh, I haven't really mentioned yet, but I've I finally actually got around to doing it now. So we've got our first one in what we hope to be a series of a, a new Cheltenham Live series called Cheltenham Live Meets. It's a new podcast series we're going to try and get around and meet as many Cheltenham personalities as possible. Now, uh, last night I was uh, very lucky to to get to interview uh, a bit, of, uh, almost a mainstay during our Premier League era. Uh, which is, and uh, of course the man who sent the palace down, uh, John Fortune. So uh, over the, over the weekend or so, you're going to hear on our, our new Chelton Live meets John Fortune podcast. But I'm going to play you a clip from that tonight where he talks about uh, he, that, that that goal against Crystal Palace and also mentions how uh, excited he is to be coming back to the Valley for the uh, the, the Legends game on uh, on September the 17th. Also, uh, so we're going to go around just a, a few little bits of Chelton news, Player of the Month nominations, Goal of the Month, that sort of stuff before we look ahead to uh saturday's game with south end here at the valley again hearing from carl robinson uh but right yeah so as as i just mentioned there a tweet from jake bacon today carl robinson is officially Roland Duchatel's longest serving manager surpassing guy luzon's 284 days on tuesday and tom i mean you know is it time to get the champagne out
3: mm, not quite but <laughs> this season probably the most likely chance of getting the champagne out probably since we've had du Châtelet in charge uh I think he's he's earned the longest stay, as you say. It's not, at the moment, a massive feat because the rest have lasted, you know, a few months. But um, it's not really a surprise that he's the longest serving given what he's done to the team, what he's done to the club. And we've talked a lot about the mentality he's creating amongst the fans at, at, and around the club. And, yeah, he, he deserves to be the longest serving we've had. Um, as I say, not a massive feat at the moment given that, in real terms, he hasn't been here that long. But I think he he's starting to cement something here and if he can carry on his good work then he could be here for a lot longer to come
2: So Carl was asked about uh, in today's press day what it felt like to be Charlton's longest serving manager under Ronan de i
4: I'm so proud to still be sat here as a manager's football club Um, you just have to do things right and like I said it's always about us it's always about what my players and the fans care about really I don't really care about anything else that's not being disrespectful um, but with all due respect to any external things that go on, it's not for me to get involved in. I'm the manager of the football club, not manager i I'm not a politician. Um, I don't get involved in past things that are right, wrong or indifference and I don't take sides either. I'm here to manage the football club moving forward. Um, I try to be open, honest, respectful with everybody involved. I've never... I've never... Um, I've never sought of left anybody out I've always been inclusive in everything we do even if you, as a Charlton fan if you come or you don't come I still hope that they're proud of what we're achieving And um, because it is all about the players that take the pitch it is all about them and it is equally all about the people who will be here a lot longer than us and that's the fans so yeah listen, it's, it's it's an honour it always it was an honour the day I walked into the building it's equally the same as I was on just sat here today that was not something I ever take for granted but on a personal level given where yesterday's record before you came you must
5: feel good
4: yeah, listen. The owner has every right to do whatever he needs to do with me. Um, it's not something I really care about. In some ways, um, I care about this football club and moving forward. I'm a football person. Most importantly, uh, I believe very much in in, in the British culture and, and how we go about things. And I have a way of playing. I have a way of doing things. Sometimes I talk too much. And but it's but it, equally, it's something that I believe in passionately. I love the game. Um, and. If he feels I'm the fit for, for the forthcoming games, which has always been the talk of our recent managers, um, I, I, I'll continue with, with tremendous pride and tremendous honour. But I've always been planning for the future. I'm not. I'm not. a am not a short-term manager. It's never been something that I'm very good at. My style doesn't actually allow short-term success. That's just not who I am. I'm a developer. Hopefully, that people can foresee that, as, and I want to build. team and coach a team team that that leaves a legacy that that we can continue on forever and a day and and give a pathway to these young great players that we have at the football club so I've never I've never come in here with a a single with a a sort of a short term view everything I've done has been long term and everything's been done for the football club and for the fans and for the academy and the community and everything I do is is for that and and we've been lucky that results have followed like you Roland, you X time I just said, to listen, with all due respect to what's gone in the past, I'm not like anybody else you had before, in my own view. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm a coach who, who wants to coach and make people better. Um, I think he. I think everybody understood that at a football club that there has to be a direction that we chose and stuck with. Um, I had one or two things about the windows that I asked people to, 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 to leave me to that and to, to, to trust me. Uh, and, and right, wrong, wrong and different, I've been left to my own devices that I've not, I've been quite open with the amount of conversations that we have. I get, I get one or two texts when we've not played well. Um, I get one or two texts when we've played well and lost to say that that was a good performance. But other than that, I've been left to do what I've got to do. I was told from day one by him that he'll leave me my own devices Um, and and that's been the case he's he's not come back on his word ever since so that's the way it is and that's the way I've had chairmen in the past who have been on the phone until from 10 o'clock at night to 1 o'clock in the morning 3-4 times a week Um, I've worked with managers who've had chairmen sit in the office for 2 hours every day with them and talk about tactics and, and talk about what we should be doing I think people need to understand as well that every chairman up and down the country and every owner has their favourite players and has the players that they don't like just like a fan does um, and it's it's equally in the right to say oh I don't like that or I don't like this because as a fan as well um, but with all due respect I just want to do my best for this football club and that's and the people who pay their money to watch it because we've had an awful lot of difficult years in some ways we three or four years where things maybe people some say since the that, that things haven't been stable Um, but that's not for me to judge any any of the managers that's been in here, I have to do what is right for me and and my staff and my players, and I know for Johnny Jackson and Lee Bowyer as well, it's not just about me Uh, Lee Bowyer's been exceptional since he's walked in the building Um, he's like a brush of fresh air in some ways, I don't think he's got a care in the world, but he just loves footy, he he loves winning, he's addicted to winning Um, unfortunately he doesn't win at golf as much as what he'd like, but that's because the competition's very, very strong. Um, but it, he, everything he wants to do, he wants to win. But he does it in a, in a way where he really believes passionately in this football club. i when managed by to Jacko and having two real charter people in the office with me, and now Jason Hughes now moved into our office as well. So it's a uh, it's a very young office. Obviously, Stephen Gallon's relatively young, and then LT is probably the oldest in the office. you won't like me saying that, but we've got a very young group of staff, and and there's, and there's three real strong connections to the to the past in that room, and that gives me a little bit of a sense of the type of club that I'm working at as well. So, I have to do it in my own way, but I've, and I've been left to my own devices to do it my own way as well. Yeah.
2: So it's Carl Robinson talking about uh, the fact that he is the the longest serving child manager. Under Roland du now two hundred and eighty four days was Guy Luzon's record, which he surpassed on Tuesday. um what do you think that shows the fact that he's been given more time than anyone else do you think do you think it's because Roland suddenly had an epiphany and decided that sacking managers every twenty minutes isn't isn't the best way to go? Or do you think it's because of how well Carl's done I mean, because if you look at results in that in that difficult spell we had towards mm. the, the second half of last season yeah. Under another Roland Duchatelet he could have easily pulled the
3: trigger there. I think it's a mix of both, and I think Carl summed it up right at the end there when he said, "Look, I've been given the chance to do what I want to do." And when you hear him talk about the fact he's moved Yule into his office, he's got Bowyer and Jackson back. He's he's building a real culture around the club of you know Charlton past and present. He, he's linking things up. He is how you would want a manager to to pull a football club together. Um, the fact he's been able to do that under an owner that's as volatile as Roland de Châtelet, I think, shows his quality. Um, but yeah, I'm sure he'll have had to defend himself, particularly towards the end of last season when results weren't going the right way. But however he's managed to do that, um, for all his faults, Roland has shown faith in him over the summer and kept him on. Um, and then I think we've seen the results so far this season of doing that, of giving a manager a whole summer, of giving a manager pre-season, of having a manager who... You know transfers from one season to the next because very few of the managers that we've had since uh, Roland bought the club have been able to do that, and, and I think he deserves immense credit for that. I, you know, I don't think everything's all rosy yet. I don't think you know we're still in League One. We're still going to have bad days, and at the end of the day, Roland's still in charge, and Katrien's still still at the club. So there are lots of issues that that we have to work through, but I think Carl's done done well to manage above and and. Below, which is something we first spoke about, I think with Russell Slade having to do that, and mm. I think Carl's kind of taken that on, but also improved results on the pitch, which which was where Russell perhaps was was falling down.
2: And Carl was mentioning there about how he's been left to get on with the job, just left to, mm. to do what he needs to do. And how important was that? Because I mean, it was it's well publicised. I mean, uh, you know, accusations accusations from from Powell and other managers as well. Especially, I mean, especially from Powell. We saw the emails on on the Getting to Know the Network yeah. podcast website. Um, of you know of, of Roland getting involved in team matters and and Thomas drys and you know according to various managers on that podcast having the final sound transfers how important is it that you know that that isn't the case that it's left to people with with, with the knowledge of the English game and well, in Roland's case the knowledge of football at all
3: yeah it's uh it's it, that that interfering was such a big issue and I don't think necessarily it even has to come down to Carl but what you have to have is a structure in place so. Even if they chose to go down a more European method of having a director of football bring in someone like your Bowyers or your, your someone who knows the league and knows the club Wait, to so do
2: bower eh? there, I mean he, he, <laughs> could he, a boy, he, he could do it, couldn't
3: he? <laughs> um, so yeah, I think what what their biggest issue was was not only Roland, you know, trying to interfere, but also. No one really knew what was going on, so we had drives, and we had these scouts of the network. We had catchy M1 in to try and get certain players in, and there was just so many people getting involved, so few of which knew anything about football. And when you've got Johan Turam turning up with a suitcase, just announcing to Powell he's, "He's here to play," that just was you know as bad as it really gets. Um, in this, in the current setup, I think it's right that you let Carl do that. Carl and his his team do that. Um, if you choose to go down another method, as I say, that's also fine. But you need to, everyone to be clear what their job was. And for a long time, that wasn't, which was fr- the most frustrating because for three seasons before that, Powell had seemingly got all of that under control. Um, but yeah, it's it's good. And you see the players Carl's brought in. They're all kind of of a similar vein, you know, people he's either worked with or he's got experience of or fit a very clear formation. Uh, and that's paying off.
2: And do you think the the... You know the the Roland sort of taking a step back from being too overly involved might have only actually started this season because if you think about last season. You remember, you know, um, there the, was the story going around that, that I'd heard that Crofts, uh, the, the signing of Crofts, nearly got overruled by Thomas Drys, mm-hmm. and, Uh There was Chris O'Loughlin, but uh, when I asked Dryson about that, he refused to comment. Which, uh, and then uh, and then of course there was Chris O'Loughlin being placed on the coaching staff last year, which. Um, you know, rumours rumours that upset Slade as well. I mean, do, do you think it's it has been a long time in coming and do you think that that proves you know is it is it over now or is it still is there, is there still a chance that it could happen again if they were doing it as, as recently as last season?
3: I don't think it's over. Um I think the fact that we're on quite a good run of form and the team looks pretty good is, is helping. But I think when you look at things like uh the decision not to get in an extra permanent striker, to not invest more in a defensive midfielder, to not be able to bring in a third keeper whether we would have done whether it was just that we couldn't get Phillips out on loan I don't know but I think there are little areas that show that we're not out of the woods just yet and as I say that those are reminders that our owner is still the same um, the less he does the better uh, in terms of handling matters on the pitch um, but I think you know if results start to turn and we start to drop off there's n- it wouldn't surprise me if they sack Carloff, off and come January they start bringing in players again. Um, you know, I think hopefully we're not going to go that way and, you know, I don't want to bring the show down because we're on a good run of form at the start of this season and as I say, we're here to, to congratulate, if you want to use that word, Carl on being the longest serving manager under this owner. So, I, I don't think we're out of the woods. I think there is always the potential whilst we've got this ownership and this regime in charge that things could change again but I think we should kind of Ride the crest of this wave we're on, um, and enjoy the fact that at the moment that's not being done.
2: And it sort, sort of sort um, of goes to point out exactly how you know how how bad it, a decision it can be to sack managers so often, because you know Carl did have that that bad run last year as he as he came in tried to change you know the the style of football from from the one that Russell was playing that sort of thing could have easily got fired last year because of the run we we're on but they've kept him and he, and it allowed him to continue his work i mean i remember i remember thinking that's why i didn't want russell to get sacked because i thought mm. he's he's trying to obviously we would have been playing a very different way to the way that Carl that plays now, and he, you know I'm certainly enjoying the football at the moment Damn. right now, and that's why I'm, I'm quite happy that Carl's here and, and all that. But last season when when Russell got sacked, I was disappointed because I thought, well, you need to give him time to stamp his style, whatever that style is going to be on the club to, to progress. But in this case now, he's been given that little bit extra time to try and turn things around when we've had a bad run, and it's so far worked, worked working.
3: Yeah, hundred percent. I, I was going to bring up the same point that you know, I would have liked him to stay more loyal to Russell. And yes, the football wouldn't have been very pretty. But I always think, and I don't know if it's a, an ethos as a Charlton fan because, especially for people of our generation, we grew up with curbs for so long that you you're just used to, you know, managers being here for a long time. If you're if you if you've only become a Charlton fan in the last four or five years, you're obviously used to this change over managers, particularly with the game, you know, on a wider perspective as well. Um, but, you know, when we were growing up, the likes of Ferguson and Wenger and, and Kerbishley, they were around for a long time. And so as far as I knew, Charlton weren't a, a club that sacked their managers. We had that little rough patch where we went through uh, Reed and, and Dowie. But then Pardew, you know, had a little bit more time. Parkinson still, given, a, you know, a good couple of years to, to give it a go. And same with Chris Powell. Um, so I, I do think that, that staying loyal and keeping with a manager will pay. Um and, you know, it, we can't really predict, but uh, who knows where we'd be if we'd have even, uh, maybe not Carol Fry, who ironically was given far too much time, but <laughs> with some of the others, you know, Riga, it, who knows, okay, we started that next season badly, but what he'd done the, the run-up of the season before, you know, he'd done so well. Um, Peters, I don't know, but even Luzon, you know, he was, we, we weren't that bad um, under some of these managers, given the constraints they were working under, so... Yeah, we've we seem to have gone through a very very rocky patch, and it's been there have been some dark times over the last few years. As I say, we're not out of those woods yet, but at the moment we seem to be on a bit of an an upward curve. Um, and I think we've just got to kind of enjoy that while we can.
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously, when, when you mention those other managers, I think that the network style managers, for me, they wouldn't they wouldn't either have been given or perhaps wanted the freedom because they were yeah, happy to work true. within uh, the confines of the network. Now, um, Jimmy, he's just tweeted in saying, "How comes, Carl?" And Johnny Jackson are on Talksport while uh, while Charlton Live is on. Now, obviously, don't go, don't turn over to that. Yeah, listen to that, on, that badly, yeah, listen to that on the podcast. But obviously, I mean, he mentioned that. I, mean, I was just thinking about, you know, the, the 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 better feeling around the club at the moment. You know, um, and, and and there's a lot of stuff where we, we see Carl goes on Talksport quite often, doesn't he? And, and he getting getting out within the media, uh, and, and then that's also coupled with the fact that we don't hear from Katrina anymore. I mean, how important do you think that those two things are? Uh, I mean, obviously, there's a job, there's a job on to turn around the men- the mentality of, of the club, and how how important do you think it is that a, you know, Carl, Carl's the talker, as we know, and b that, Katrine's not been allowed to say any any silly stuff for a while now. Yeah, uh,
3: I was just thinking the last time I I'm sure we've had Charlton representatives on Talksport regularly, and like you say, Carl goes on a lot, but when I hear Talksport, I think back to that the text that Duchatelet sent uh, <laughs> about Mier being on there and interviewed. You know, these are. These are what we represent or we kind of reminisce about over the last three years of what who was going on there, and now we've got our manager and our coach who is happens to also be the club captain and a bit of a club legend going on there and talking about football and that's what that's what it should be and you know for everything that we criticize Katrien for, she might be a very good lawyer she might be might actually turn into quite a good c e o but what she wasn't doing back then was that she was getting too involved, she was being too vocal uh, and we didn't need her for that and the fact that she's kept quiet, you know, we don't know how much of a part she might have played in getting deals over the line for for the players that Carl wanted and Carl speaks about having a good relationship, you know, working upwards to, to those sort of people and if he's telling the truth then maybe they're starting to learn their lessons. Again, I'll come back to the fact that I'm not going to say everything's perfect now, um, but yeah, the fact that we don't hear so much from him is certainly a positive and Carl's more than happy to talk about the club and, and just talk in general, as we hear with his press conference every week. And I you think know, that's a good thing. And the mentality he's created around the fans, which is something you've mentioned the last few weeks about you know, us against them. I think everything that he's doing um, behind the scenes and out you know fronting up to the media is is good for the club and good for the fans
2: yeah, yeah I think it's important clearly that I mean if, if Roland has taken a back seat now we don't know that for certain he, he might still be trying things that Cole yeah. is managing upwards but I mean just leave him to do his job I think it's the best thing uh, that we need to see and, and, and the same goes for Katrine don't, don't try and get involved too much in terms of coming out in the public because it, it's only ever gone badly so far and I still think there's a hell of a long way to, to win fans back. So it's it's almost like just let Carl be the front man. Let, let him absolutely yeah he's he's a boss and an entertainer just like just like Ricky Gervais. <laughs> uh, Roger Trash said he's got it, he's uh, he's in the lib at the moment, <laughs> sorry so if he's having fun in the lib but he said he's got gonna miss the next three home games and Carl Robinson is the messiah. Well there we go. Let's have a quick break here on Chuck and Live. we'll be back in a couple of minutes.
0: Holmes to force Kasky,
2: Holmes, Clark, lovely play. Clark brings the ball forward. He's got Holmes inside who he uses. Holmes, Holmes, Holmes. Oh, yes! What back a goal! For Charlton. Ricky Holmes on his left foot brought the ball forward. Continue with it and fires in the back of the net. Charlton have their second. Holmes against his former side. <laughs> Welcome back to Champion Live here on Maritime Radio. Uh, Mark says he's not in the Messiah, he's a very naughty boy. I no, he beat me to it. <laughs> uh, there you go, right, I've got an email in from uh, Danny Traffin. He says, uh, hi Louis and Tom, uh, keep up the good work, your end, thank you. Uh, yes. I've got to say we've had a great start. Points in the bag, early doors, the next two games are key in my view. Six points will put us on top. Uh, Robbo is a proper Mr. Positive with Jacko and Boya. I'm sure they can have they have a good, healthy banter. No more drainers in the team. I'm feeling positive this season with the team structure and the kids coming through January will show our intent. A few quid spent will get us up. Maybe we could bounce up to the Prem. Who knows? Over the last 25 years, we've been on a roller coaster. No ground, no money. Then boom, it went It went right off. Keep the faithful. That's from, that's from Dan from Melbourne via Plumstead. Uh, i 've I've been on southeastern journeys like that actually but, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I mean I mean we get emails in like that now, and you compare that to the sort of emails we get last season you know, in, in terms of the positivity about even going up to the premier League i mean i mean it is we got we do got to remember we, we can 't get carried away the fact we 're five games five league games into a season yeah we 've won four of them started well we can 't get carried away, but at the same time you know it, it, you just feel the momentums in, in the, i mean there 's been other times under this under this regime where we 've won. Four games out of five, and and at the back of your mind, you're thinking, "Oh, yeah, but still, look at the squad, blah blah blah." The squad's much better this time for me. Yeah. I mean, we're still potentially short in a striker situation. We'll see how things go when injuries and suspensions come in. But you can certainly feel that some some of the fans certainly feel a lot more positive now.
3: Yeah, and I think as well, we've been starved of any sort of success like this for so long that when a little bit comes along, I don't really blame fans for trying to jump on it and looking, f- you know, as much into that as they can. I remember the season. Was it for second season in the championship? The season where we beat QPR and then beat Hull yeah. um, under Luzon. I came in here after that Hull game um, and said on the show, "People are going to have to start to take notice of us now because we'd beaten. You know, we'd played so well against Hull. Okay, it took us till the end to score, but I just thought that was a a Charlton team that could really go places. And look how that season worked out. So yeah. we do have to be wary in the same way that. As I said uh, when we were talking about the ownership, we have to be wary and not forget who those people are and the, what they've done to the club in the last three or four years. Um, but I, we do have a good squad. We have a good manager. There is definitely a, a feel-good factor around the club at the moment that isn't just because we've had three or four good results. There's just a, You can tell when you're a football fan of a club and when you've been coming for a few seasons, there's just a feel that's very difficult to explain around the club. And when you go to games at the moment, that feel is there. Um, when you went to away games last year, even in the periods where we were doing quite well, there was still a, a little bit of an uncomfortable atmosphere. Sometimes, you know, it, you thought it was only going to take one goal to go in against us, and we're, you know, we're going to turn. Um, but even when that happened at Plymouth, and obviously I was there a few weeks ago, that didn't really happen. We were frustrated at the way the team was performing, but it was it was a very different atmosphere to how it has been in recent seasons. So. As I say, I don't blame any fan for getting, getting on the back of that because we've been starved of anything for so long that it's, it's you know nice to dream, particularly in this early stage of the season where, where anything's still possible.
2: Right, it's time for our Thursday evening feature. Wish We Were There and this one takes us back to 2002.
1: Young with his usual trick here of hurling it deep into the penalty area towards Rufus and Jensen oh what a start for Charlton David James is beaten inside four minutes in the West Ham goal and Klaus Jensen is the scorer the man who missed so much of last season is back on the score sheet straight away as West Ham failed to clear and were punished clinically by Jensen. The muddle in the West Ham defence, Daly and Cissay couldn't clear it and it fell so nicely for Klaus Jensen. with just a minute to go before the interval. It'll be Klaus Jensen, the goal scorer, who will take this corner. Swings it in. Svensson cleared off the line. Fortune, it's wriggled its way in. And Charlton are 2-0 up. And of all the people, John Fortune, who comes from a family of West Ham fans, should score on the stroke of half-time against the Hammers. And record his first ever Premiership goal. It's gone through three or four legs and it's 2-0 to Job.
2: So there we go, back to the bowling ground in uh, 2002. That was actually on the 31st of August, but there's no good games this week. <laughs> I couldn't find any, so uh, so we went back to last week uh, to pick one. I, f- I felt that was particularly relevant for this week's show because, uh, as I mentioned at, at the top of the the top of the hour uh, last night, I was uh, lucky enough to speak to a uh, Ch- uh, bit of a Chelton. No, legend did go that far. He played. He, he played. Well, I, I hand out Legend to most people to be fair, but he, he was there. He was there. An for, for, yeah, us, he for was, sure. He was there for a very big. Portion of our um, of our Premier League years, and of course, uh, John Fortune. Now, uh, as as I mentioned, uh, we have uh, we we I recorded. I ended up on the phone with him for well over an hour, uh, chatting away all things uh, you know throughout his career, different stories, and um, I'm really looking forward to to bringing you that entire uh, podcast. It's going to be called Chat on Live Meets. It's a series we're hoping. Uh, so far, it's one. <laughs> on live meets this week. It's John Fortune. Hopefully, he'll be out over the weekend. Just once, I've edited it down to, you know, a, a bite-sized portion, probably forty-five minutes to an hour. But there's there's so many good stories to come out of it. And now, of course, when I say John Fortune to you, uh, I know exactly what, what you're thinking. You're thinking of that goal against Palace, and I asked him about that. So this is a sneak preview a clip of uh, of our exclusive interview. Uh, Chantel Athletic, uh, live, sorry, meets John Fortune. Now, fast forward to the end of the next season, o four o five. Now, um, I think if if I mention the name John Fortune to any Charlton fan, immediately that they, they come to this specific moment. It was a header on the eighty second yeah. minute against Crystal Palace. I mean, uh, is is that your, is that the best moment of your career? Is that your proudest moment?
5: Yeah, I'm I'm known for two things. it's either scoring that goal or the on Reback Hill.
2: <laughs> I was going to uh, ask you about that a bit
5: any, later any fan, I anyone who comes up to me says that I know they're a Charlton fan <laughs> but, um, yeah no it's, it's obviously the standout moment for for every Charlton fan because I never had, I'll tried to help you. I never played against Millwall as a pro uh, our games was always against Crystal Palace I, I missed that era so oh. obviously going away to Palace and the home game prior to that I, I, I knew how big the games were I knew the importance of them Obviously, this particular game, we was we were safe again. It was one last game of the season. We we had a good season already, and obviously, Palace had come to town. I had a, a few friends playing in the team for them as well for Palace, and it was a it was a big day for us at Charlton because we knew we had to put a performance in for the club. You know, we couldn't let Palace come over and, and turn <laughs> us over at home. I was really pumped up for that game. I was probably a bit overcharged because I, I made a couple of mistakes that led to the goals for Palace. And I just remember thinking I just got to take myself out of a hole and then you enough know, we got a late free kick and I wandered up front and got, and got my head on the goal and I just, I just remember scoring the relief of scoring and, and picking the ball up and kicking it into the stands and just all that frustration during the game of thinking, oh no, like Palace might win at home and uh, I gave away the penalty and it's going to be my fault and all that relief was just. It was,
2: it was a great feeling Yeah because I mean when, when it comes to like derby games like that I mean as, as players who've come up through the academy and know, know what it's all about do you, do you have to sort of explain to other players that this, this is the big one this is the one we, we simply can't lose
5: Yeah especially to the, the more the foreign lads more so the English boys get derbies or the British boys get them straight off the bat but the the, the foreign boys don't really understand I remember maybe the season before we had a player of the year do and Everybody who scored against Palace that season, one goal of the season, like number one, two, and three. I think it was Benzema though, and he couldn't understand how how is this goal one player of the season? He was like, no, it's not your goal. It's the fact that it, who who it was against. Yeah. So like that that showed you, that showed everybody the importance of the game where was what it was, was going to be.
2: Yeah, and you mentioned you have friends that uh, you had you'd friends playing for Palace as well because that, that was going to be one of my questions, like. I mean, if I'm playing a mate down at five a side and I beat him I'll I'll give him endless stick. But if you've just relegated one of your friends from the Premier League, I mean, is it still do you still sort of give him a bit of stick, a bit of banter?
5: i like I said, it was a it was a mad day. I probably would have before but I was I was just so relieved to get through the game and obviously get us after making mistakes just to getting the win <laughs> and getting the goal to, to send them down in that respect, That dug me out of a hole. I was I was was so relieved but I just remember um I had a friend, Fitz, playing for them. And uh, my, my thing was that I would swap after a game. If I had a friend playing for the other team, I would always swap with them, shirts. So I would went over and I, would, I was shopping shirts with him, and he was just distraught. And then I had another friend who wasn't on the pitch that day, but he was, he was on the bench, and he, Wayne Andrews, he come running over, he goes, John, you've just, you just cost these boys 40% or 50% of the wages. <laughs> <laughs> I remember a little chuckle to it, and then obviously, um, yeah, that was it. But I was with all the other day; we, was, we were talking about that game.
2: Does it still hurt him?
5: Yeah, it hurt him, but it end up hurting <laughs> me, Ian, because we got we got Ian Dowie coming to us. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I can ask you about that in a minute. I mean, at, at the time at the time of the goal, I mean, did you know? Did you know you'd go down in folklore?
5: No, I, I didn't. I, was, I said, I like, I was just so desperate to, to dig yourself out the arm and get that, to get that goal was that relief. And then I remember, um, being in the change room afterwards and hearing loads of noise outside. But as you were, it was in the change room until pretty late. And I come out as one of the last two or three. Uh, as I come outside, there's maybe about two, three hundred Charlton fans singing my name <laughs> outside in the car park. And I was like, whoa, like, all right, yeah, this, this really did mean a lot to these guys. Yeah, you know, and then obviously it was in the papers of me, Parley and Yordi. I think we was, we was the next day we was flying away to Miami for a little season break we was having, and then it was all in the papers, and, and then you just got the sense of what it meant to the club. Yeah.
2: Now, of course, uh, the, the reason Keith Peacock set up this phone call for us is because you're you're coming back to be part of the Legends game. On, uh, on September the 17th. I mean, obviously, as, as, as Charlton fans, you know, the 25th anniversary of going back to the valley and all that, it means so much to us. I mean, when, when you're playing at the club, I mean, are you aware of, you know, are you made aware of that sort of history that the club has and, and the battle the fans had to get the, to get the club back to the valley?
5: Oh, aware of it because it meant so much to people like Keith Peacock and Alan and, and Kervisley. Uh, we had managers that knew the history and, and, and had been through that journey with the football club. So it's something you're aware of, but you said you're in a bubble when you're a footballer and you, you're not exposed to the true feelings outside. So it was it was one of them where i had come through the system. I'd seen the change in the football club, but I was not aware of how severe the journey was.
2: And are you quite uh, excited to 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 get back to the valley and to get out there again to 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 play on on the valley turf again?
5: You know, I'm I'm really am um, excited. I've seen a, a a few other football clubs do a vets team and 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 special days for their for their ex players, and it's just like um I bumped into a few of the old boys now, and I was at a game the other day watching a game, and it was Konchesky was there. Um, Party was there, Alex Dyer was there, Mervyn Dave was there, and we was we was talking, saying, here, we're getting back together and in a couple of weeks to have a, have a chat and sit down and play together. It's just more, it's more of a, um, a really good social for the boys to actually get back with each other and, and be in the same changing room and have that little bit of banter and, and hear each other's stories again, which is, and from what, from, I spoke to Keith quite a bit because he's, I've been made head of recruitment for the younger generation. So um, he's had me recruiting Parker, Konchesky, Lippy, <laughs> Luke Young. So we've we've got a few of the younger generation coming as well. So I'm I'm really I'm looking forward to to coming back and he, and my boy gets to see me have a chance of playing at He never saw me play football at a decent level. He, he was born when I was at Barnet, so he, he gets a chance to see me play for the the clubs he's seen. club he's seen pictures of me at my mum's ass playing in. You know, so he's. he's
2: Coming up to five years old now, so he he knows the game a bit more, and he's in love with football. So it'd
5: be it'd be nice for him to come over and see that. Are you raising him to become a Charlton fan? He's he will be he will know of Charlton, and he, he knows the history already. He's already got a Charlton kit, but <laughs> it, granddad's already got in there, and made him a West Ham fan.
2: Ah, uh, well, no, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it'd be it'd be nice to see as many fans as possible come come for that game on September the seventeenth to share the the celebration of the the twenty fifth anniversary of the club coming back as well.
5: Yeah, no, it will be good. I said I've seen I've seen the list of the names and the names on the list are impressive for sure. This
2: is what we came here for. We came here for love. I won't give. I won't give it up. This is what we came here for. We came here for love. I know it is, I know
1: it's enough.
6: This is what we came. Compton does superbly well to win it off of uh, Maloney and now set up a Hern Grant on the left-hand side of the penalty area. Hern Grant. Little step over ball back across. Oh, behind everybody. It's gonna be picked up by Forster Kaski on the other side of the penalty area. Foster Kasky, left foot shot.
0: Oh, what a oh, goal! Oh what a oh, finish!
6: Oh, 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 what a belter from Jake Foster Kasky to
5: absolutely round off a glorious afternoon for the addicts.
2: Welcome back to Cheltenham Live here on Maritime Radio. We just heard there from uh, Ch- uh, John Fortune. Uh, uh, that was just a clip from our exclusive and Live meets John Fortune mm-hmm. podcast. Like I said, be o- out over the weekend. There's so much gold in there. I mean, the joke about Ian Dowie that you heard just then was pretty funny. but He, get, he, get, he really lays into, well, he, he speaks a lot about the, the the time under Ian Dowie at the club. The, you know, what, what Alan Kirby was like as a boss. George Costa, who he played with, Paolo DiCanio. Um, and plenty more there's there's, there's so much stuff to, to to look forward to there especially like when he got elbowed by Alan Shearer it was quite a funny story thank uh, you. sounds brilliant oh yeah, yeah.
3: L- really looking forward to listening yeah.
2: to that well like I say it's like currently it's over an hour and 20 minutes so I'm going to be taking out any boring bits and there wasn't many uh to to make sure it's a really good podcast for you to enjoy so look out for that channel live meets john fortune coming up now of course like I mentioned that in the uh, in the interview there um uh, sort of Keith Peacock's got the ball rolling. We heard from him on Sunday's show. If you haven't heard Sunday's uh, show with Keith Peacock, you can go back and download that from ACAST or at Uh Keith Peacock's been giving us a few numbers to to help advertise the uh, the, the, the Legends game that's coming up. Uh, to to celebrate 25 years back at the Valley and also 25 years of the community trust. In fact, upstairs this evening there's some sort of trust event going on uh, to celebrate their 25 years. But 25 years back at the Valley is also very important. It's actually the anniversary today from 1985 of the day that the leaflet, a message to our supporters was handed out. It was before a home game uh, against Crystal Palace and it was the uh, as fans were coming through the door, uh, they were handing a leaflet that says uh, it was with regret that we must announce that we'd be obliged to leave the Valley, the home of China Athletic for 66 years. Um, and, and goes on to mention how how we're going to play at Palace's ground Selhurst Park uh, and tells you how to get there by bus. I mean, that must have been a terrible shock uh, to be... You'd think to, it was an April Fool type
3: thing, wouldn't you? You wouldn't, wouldn't take that seriously. Like, imagine if we come down on Saturday and they were giving that out. There's no way you'd believe it.
2: Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> no, no, back, back in the old days, maybe. Um, yeah, but, uh, it, it, you know... You know, twenty five years hence from that, or that was that was eighty five. The leaf that was handed out twenty five mm. years hence. We're it's all part now of the makeup of the, the history of the club. And you know, whereas it was a, a terrible time for the fans involved, it, it, when, you, when you look back at it, is it, the start of something that would lead to one of the, one of the things that makes you proudest to be a Charlton fan. That's when you read about the history of the Valley Party and, and how the fans fought to get the club back. It
3: absolutely, as you say, it's um, it's something I'm very proud to be a Charlton fan and be able to to know that that's my club and they you know I wasn't born till 1990 so I didn't really know the club until they were back at the valley but to know that there were fans before me that that fought that much to get the club back home and that's why when I come here now I never take it for granted you know I I look around and look at the stadium we've got now and we're so fortunate to have it and it's thanks to those hard-working people that did that in the in the 80s and early 90s to get us back here and there's occasionally talk of, of moving grounds and I know other clubs have done it, but for me, and I've said it before on this show, the the ground is so synonymous with Charlton, and it's just so important to our history uh, that we just can't can't leave. Um, and you know, friends, family, people I know who talk about the fact that I'm a Charlton fan—that's one of the things they come to—is not only do they like coming here as a ground, um, but that story is just you know sewn into football folklore now. Um, and it's just so good that it had a happy ending and that we did make it back. And I'm sure, especially coming towards December, we'll be talking about the whole thing in a lot more detail. But yeah, I think that to have a Legends game to celebrate the whole achievement is just a, a fantastic way to show show that support, I guess.
2: Yeah, like, like Tom said there, the, uh, the, 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 the game, the Legends United game on September the 17th, just to... Uh, come together and remember that that, that weird time and that, and that but that special that special day when we came back to the valley is going to be really excellent so don't forget you can still get your your tickets for September the 7th they're just added another player today Jason Yule mm, is yeah, uh, is turning happy out about that yeah another another excellent player from uh uh from my youth especially so mm. um uh is he still our record signing yeah yes yeah, is. yeah I think it's 4.75 four, million yeah, pounds four from Wimbledon um, so yeah if you, if you want to come down to that it's £10 for adults £2 for children uh, don't forget none of the money goes to the club I mean you have to go to the club website to order the tickets but they're not getting anything because um, I know, you know obviously there's certain people who don't want to put money into the club at the moment and that's up to them but you know, if, you, if you're going to pay for a ticket you get to come to the Valley and all the money goes mm. to the community trust who do excellent work
3: if you're going to come to yeah. one game that's, yeah, that's make it that one. Oh, it's
2: going to be so good. Don't forget that the covered in lower is open. But it's important that you uh, it would be a lot easier for everyone if you pre-book your tickets because yeah. uh, they're probably expecting reasonable queues on the day. So just uh, easier for the organisers as well if they know how many people are coming. So pre-book your tickets. Go to the Charlton website. The Legends game on September the 17th. Uh, John Fortune, who we just heard from, there's going to be there along with a whole host of, uh, of others. Now, uh, something I wanted to pick up on. Uh, tomorrow morning, the... Uh, League One Player of the Month for August is going to be announced, and uh, we've got a horse in that in that race. We've got a dog in that fight, haven't we? Patrick we've Bauer, got a big
3: friendly, big, German big friendly German, German in Shepherd
2: in that fight. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, now, I, I'm especially last season. I was never backward in coming forward in saying that I thought Bauer had to improve immeasurably because he was making a lot of mistakes last season, mm. uh, getting caught out of position too much. even in pre season, I remember tweeting this year after he made a mistake out in, in the Tour on Ireland. Uh, but he's come back in, and and you know, other than I think perhaps missing a header at Rotherham, where it went for Semi Jay's free header, I, I can't really put my, many foot. You know, he hasn't he's hardly put a foot wrong, and he scored two goals so far this.
3: Yeah, I think uh, last season he had brilliant performances in him. Um, I think the fact that he's been nominated for Player of the Month just shows that he's started to put them together consistently. I think you could probably patch together four or five performances last year. And if they'd all been in the same month, he would have won Player of the Month hands down. Unfortunately, they were spread, you know, one every every six games. Um, but this year, he started so well, so consistently. As you say, he's got us a couple of goals, particularly the one uh, of, against Bristol here was, was vitally important because it got us the three points. Um, the other one obviously set us on our way to a, a very good performance at Rotherham as well. Um, but also, as you say, his defensive solidity has been a lot more solid and you know, now that he's up for that award and we've we've raved about him who who'd put money on him making a mistake at the weekend against South End, <laughs> But you know, he has looked a lot more solid. I think that's partly down to his own hard work, but partly down to the fact, and I think we've mentioned this already, that him and Pierce are forming a bit of a relationship now and whilst he's got two high quality centre backs pushing him, he's also been allowed to form a partnership with one person. So instead of having four people rotating in and out and different pairs, there's two that are very clearly first choice. And whilst they are, they're able to form a partnership. You see Pierce communicating all game, um, and it's yeah proven it's worth because he's he's got the nomination.
2: Yeah, you can't you can't underestimate how important communication is uh, in in a back four. And if mm. you listen to uh, Chalk Life meets John Fortune, you'll hear him talking about that, uh, especially how he had to communicate with George a, Costa, an, an unknown plug. Yeah, whose uh, whose uh, whose English wasn't great. So it's interesting to hear how we how we would communicate with uh, with George Costa now. Uh, Bauer's nomination. Uh, find out tomorrow morning. So probably by the time half a year listen to this podcast, uh, we'll know he's up against Alex Kearns from Fleetwood's goalkeeper Jack Marriott, the striker at Peterborough, and Moore, striker at Rotherham. Mm. So yeah, it was strikers always. Get it's tough in it as well.
3: well. And I know that the Fleetwood goalkeeper had a couple of really, really yeah. good games. Well, he made
2: that. He made that incredible double save yeah. in the, against Northampton Town, uh, or triple save even. Now uh, also goal of the month. We we'll just very briefly mention this. Um, the club put it out to. I mean. Uh, Ricky Holmes has won it for his goal against uh, Northampton. It was the one where he did a bit of interplay with uh, with Billy Clark and then and then fired from the edge. It was a good goal, but I do wonder if people have not actually watched the video and just voted assuming that was his goal against Oldham because I think Forster Kasky's second goal against Northampton should have won it. There was a couple of headers in there from McGuinness and, and Bauer as well, but I think for me, Forster Kasky's goal was, was a great one. And uh, at the time of that went in, we were going to say, oh, goal of the season contender there. It would have been wiped out, though, by... By is goal against Oldham, I think.
3: Yeah, I would have given that first one to Forster Kasky as well. Um but as I said to you off air then I wonder whether Ricky Holmes has got a chance of winning every month now because he's obviously gonna win September. Um unless I don't know, Pierce has got some fifty yarder in his locker for the weekend. But uh yeah, I mean it is a good goal. Ninety percent of the time that is gonna win your goal of the season uh, goal of the month, sorry, anyway. But I uh, I preferred Forster Kasky's aesthetically, I think. Um but yeah, maybe people voted thinking it was a different goal, and as I say, it's it's not a bad finish either way.
2: It's not a, it's not a bad situation to be in though, where where we're in, we're getting into mm. September and we're still thinking, oh, actually, will that be goal of the season? Will that one be goal? Of the season? We're, we're scoring some cracking goals so far this year. Yeah. It's all part of the entertaining brand of football that we've produced so
3: far. Yeah, because I think, uh, and I'm sure this isn't just down to the last three years. I'm sure it's happened in the past, and in some ways, I. I respect the decision to do this but there have been months in the past few seasons where we've had youth team goals or we've <laughs> had you know women's goals which doesn't denigrate from them but you traditionally associate your goal of the month competition with the men's first team um and I wonder whether those times they've had to put them in because we just weren't scoring enough goals um I'd have nothing against having a women's goal of the month or a youth team goal of the month you know it's nothing against those teams but we've almost been forced to do it and here we've got two or three Top quality goals from those first team players, and yeah, as you say, it's it's a sign of of the good uh, good work that Carl's doing and, and the team are doing.
2: Women's goal of the month is Charlie Gifford against Dillingham. By the way, anyway, if, anyone, I if anyone's seen wondering, it, but... yeah, it's a great goal. Uh, right, okay, right. Um, time to look ahead. Saturday's game uh, against Southend United here at the Valley. Who else to take us through the press conference than Tony Hudd speaking to Charlton Athletic manager Carl Robinson.
6: Talking to Charlton manager Carl Robinson ahead of Saturday's home game against South End. Charlton a third from top in league one, a point behind joint leaders Peterborough and Shrewsbury. Is that what you expected to be at this stage of the season?
4: No, we're probably three points short of what we expected um, and probably one of our best performances we, we should have got more than what we got away at Plymouth and that's, that's still something that's really frustrating us even internally. Every time we speak about the start that we've had, we all talk about the three points that went away rather than the 12 points that we've gained, which is which is shows tremendous positivity and, and a tremendous mindset going into the game. Listen, we're going to have games when we're not going to be the best team in the pitch. We're going to have days when we know we're not going to be good. And uh, I think that we feel a bit aggrieved by that. So... That's that's with me being totally honest, and it's not being it's not. it's not arrogance. Please don't see that as an arrogance. We're just a little bit annoyed that we let them three points slip because we felt that our performance and our match prep was was very good going into that and deserved a lot more than what the the tally says. And sometimes, but then the end you look at it and probably our performance on Saturday wasn't good. So the 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 motive within the group is that we know that we can still do better. Um, we know we're coming into some very difficult games. This is a very poignant seven days for us. Three games in a week in, in any any time of the year is always a very difficult ask for a group of players. Um and the league table can look so oh, so different when we sit here in eight, nine days time. So it just shows you all the good work that you've done. It might not have any relevance in, in in eight days. You've got to make sure that it's all about the presence and going forward into the next game and that's been our mindset all week. We train really hard on Tuesday did a double on Tuesday and the players' mentality was excellent uh, we'll come in again today and we'll get ourselves ready for a very difficult afternoon on Saturday
6: So if you were writing a report you'd write Can Do Better?
4: Yeah well probably yeah um, we feel we show glimpses of how good we can be but I don't think at any stage any of us are getting carried away with the start um, we've, we feel that we've been in a very very good place in some of our performances but equally you've got to reflect on the things to make yourself better not the things that make you good um, because We'll talk about how good we've been when we finished, um, but why in the midst of a very challenging campaign. Yeah, I'll give the players credit. I think they've, they've been excellent since they've come back, but there's still aspects of our game we know we're going to have to improve on if we're going to be competitive this year.
6: What's pleased you most about the club's steady climb up the table?
4: Just our consistency in our performances since the M.K. Dons game at the Valley, I think we've looked very, very strong in, in, in an awful lot of areas. Pacey being back fit makes a big difference. Um, he's someone that obviously, you see how important he is to the team. Uh, the two boys in midfield are very strong, but he can be very talented on the ball. Um, and having a small squad.
6: Fair to state there's still more to come from this set of players.
4: Yeah, there is. Um, I get a little bit annoyed Uh, because when you see the back of programme for some unknown reason we're the only club in the country that puts players on it that are academy players that have played less than five games a lot of other clubs have got a lot more players than what we've got when you look at the players who've took the pitch this year I bet it's only about 15 players that have actually took the pitch for us um, in a league game Okay, yeah we'll use the the rest of the squad when we have to and we know that they're going to be ready and we'll train them right but we probably use the minimum amount of players in in the the whole league for for the league campaign and and that and that close knit unit is something that you can really rely upon them when it when the goal gets tough and I think the players' mentality, like I said to you before, in the games has been unquestionable, and that's why we're frustrated with the Plymouth. I keep mentioning that because we we did turn up that day, um, but it just shows you sometimes in football you don't always get what you deserve.
6: Now, just before the transfer window shut, you signed Joe Dogu yeah. from Glasgow Rangers. What qualities will he bring to the side?
4: He's quick. He's raw. He's uh. He's ruthless when he gets into the final third. Even in training, what I've been very surprised with him. For a big boy who's that quick, uh, I didn't expect his feet to be so good. He's got great feet, really, good, really good in tight areas. And for someone who possesses that much power and pace, that's not always something that comes along with them. Uh, but he's been excellent. He's fit into the group really well. With a young group, predominantly a young group, um, so we've got an awful lot of players that he that he sort of he can get on with, listen to the same rubbish music. And has Ben Reeves attained that level of fitness? Uh, he trained again yesterday. Um, no, no. Like I say, all is testing. We know. He, I know where he's at, and I, I know what Ben Reeves can get to. He's a uh, back outside again today. He'll be running today. He'll be running tomorrow, and he'll be hopefully running again on Saturday. Um, and we've just got to get him up to that that speed. There's, there's no muscular endurance in him yet. Um, so the tight calf that he had and a little bit of a soleus problem that he had was through a fatigue issue in the calf. Um, all the running tests that we do the, the, the VO2 max and everything else and the body compositions and all the other things that we look at in relation to four minute runs 30-15 runs that we do that he, he passed them with flying colours but unfortunately the, the longevity of a game sometimes puts you close to, to muscle fatigueness and that's where his little his little slayer's problem creeped up from so it's only a grade one that he had um, but we're, but it's purely because he wasn't at a level like the rest of the players were that we demand and we demand a very high output physical output so We've got to make sure that we're patient with him, like I say. The players, it's not as if we're missing him, no disrespect to him. Um but when you think you've got to like, him, Marshy, High Lennon, still paid, he's still not even playing. Um, them types of players to, to come back into the fit into into the group would make us so much better.
6: How far away is Ben Reeves from starting a
4: game? I think he could if he was to if he should be fit to start. Well we'll to expect him to be able to be able to cope with the demands of forty five minutes at least by a week Saturday. Um, the difference a Crawley and no disrespect to an Exeter, but going up against a Wigan and a, and a South End and then Gillingham away in local derby is, is something that you that are very intense. I'd like to think that he'd certainly be in that squad and certainly can play more than 25, 30 minutes by a week Saturday. Um, and then we start looking to another intense programme in the back end of that next week, obviously not having a midweek game. He'll then drop into another into another programme. Don't make any apologies for, for putting him through the mire. Should have been here six weeks earlier and he would have been fine.
2: So interesting comment right at the end there from Carl Robinson talking about uh, Ben Reeves' fitness. He said, I mean, he he did have that that six weeks period over the summer where we didn't really know what was going to happen with him enough. I I assumed that we'd lost him because, you know, we were in for him early and then nothing seemed to happen. So, I mean, that has held him back a bit, hasn't it?
3: Yeah, and I think he's got a point. Um, You know, I don't know the ins and outs of the transfer itself, but it seemed like he was maybe just waiting for a better offer because a lot of the local journalists seemed to know he was coming. Carl although trying to be a bit a bit shrewd and a bit secretive i think he made no secret of the fact he wanted him here he's worked with him before he was obviously seen here before the ipswich game i'm sure that wasn't the first time that he'd been around the club and that signing just took so long to get over the line and yeah i don't know was he holding out for a better offer was he not sure whether he wanted to come i don't know what it was but it took a long time and as a result he's having to pay for it but it, it you know it'll be like a, a a good signing almost when when he comes in and billy clark has you know, grabbed the ball by the horns um, and, and performed very, very well in that position. So luckily for us, we haven't really lost out and I, I'm looking forward to seeing him back. But yeah, it must be frustrating for him because he's now having to work his way up to full fitness.
2: Yeah, because there's a couple of players waiting in the wings in Reeves and of course mm. Mark Marsh, who's he's still out for another probably five, six weeks with, with his knee injury, who um, they're really going to struggle to break into this team the way it's playing so far.
3: Yeah, and that's that's exciting for me to have that competitive squad. If you've got players of that quality, fully fit, and not able to get in the side, then then that's good. And and when they when they are fully fit, and Fosu and Clark and know that they have to perform well, otherwise they might lose their place. You know that that's healthy. That competition for places, particularly around a squad that seem to be in, in fairly good spirits, as ours are. On the other hand, if Fosu or Clark do drop off, then brilliant. Here's a chance that you know we haven't got a blood someone young and playing for six games we can throw somebody else in or if you know if Reeves comes on and makes an impact off the bench does he work his way into the side for the next week so I think that's that's exciting as I say the front three four if you include McGuinness so far have started very very well but the the more quality players that we can introduce and add competition up there the better.
2: Now South End United here at the Valley on uh, on Saturday obviously a team that only only just missed out on the playoffs you remember that they were, they were caught up in that playoff mm. race with Millwall last year. We. I certainly did them a favour by winning our first game in it's about three annoying, months. Isn't it? Yeah, against Southend. Uh Started off with a two-one win over Blackburn. You think, oh, here we go. They're going to be out there again. They've, they've, they've had a really difficult run of form since then. Uh, they haven't won since the opening day. Last last time out they drew nil-nil with Rochdale. Missed a penalty in the first mm. half. But I mean, you'd expect them to be be up there a, a bit more now. I think Carl was talking in press day about how um, they they're expecting a couple of players back now, Wordsworth included. But um, they've conceded a lot of goals so far this season. Five at Rotherham, three against Gillingham. I think it was. I think they conceded uh, a couple at home to Newport County as well. Uh, yeah, yeah.
3: And I think uh, my my mates a Blackburn fan went to that opening game of the season and said they weren't even that good. Then it's just Blackburn were really poor. So um, yeah, it's it's one of those games. Again, I'm going to say the same thing that we have to expect to win. Um, we're back at home where we've performed very very well not only during the season but in pre-season as well because I thought we handled ourselves well against Norwich uh, and obviously blew Ipswich apart um and we have to work on you know on the the thought that we're going to they're going to come here they're going to be intimidated we're going to play our nice expansive football and there's no reason why we can't win it fairly comfortably um Look forward to playing this on Sunday again. (laughs) Yeah, well, yeah, and obviously you said that Thursday and that worked out okay. So I'm going to keep saying it. Even when we lose, I think we have to keep going in with that attitude. Um, And the longer it goes on and the more the results continue, obviously the more confidence there's going to be in in the team. Um, But yeah, we have to play with nothing to fear because we're a good side at the moment. And uh, Southend are on a poor run of form. Um, And the other teams that have come into this... Playing us in this early part of the season, who are uh, you know if you can call two or three games a, a run of form, we we've put them away.
2: Now, Carl wasn't too happy with the performance up at Oldham last week. Obviously, mm. we, we ran out winners in the end by by four goals to three, and uh, but but they both talked about um, both Carl and, and Ricky Holmes. who came out to speak after the game. Talked about a a lack of maybe discipline, perhaps. Uh, Ricky Holmes certainly talked about how they felt they lost their shape when they went 2 0 up. I mean, how how do you, with with that at the back of your mind, do you you approach Saturday's game any differently? Because obviously, we are now the home team. With a team that has to take the game to South End. Um so I mean, do you worry as much about shape? I, mean, I know Carl, when we're not in possession of the ball, will want us to make sure we're a bit more worried about being in that shape, just to avoid a repeat performance of last week, where you know we, we did ship three goals.
3: I think, yeah, it depends how we start the game. Um, if we get a couple of early goals like that, I think it's the perfect opportunity not only for the players to go right, we were here last week. How are we going to handle it differently? But also for Carl, Lee, Johnny to say look, you were here last week, you know, calm down, keep your shape, be disciplined, don't get carried away. So that would be great. If we fall a goal down or something, I think the the important thing then is we have to keep playing the way we're playing and not do like we did against Plymouth and start to pass sideways and backwards and start to be a bit more negative. I think if we keep playing this this free-flowing attacking football, yes, we might have the odd game like Oldham where it's we're going to score one more than you, but on the whole i think with the the way the defence have started you know bower being up for for player of the month kind of confirms that but also our you know our disciplined performance at the likes of Rotherham um shows that we can do both uh, and i think yeah i think we if we start well and we start fast then brilliant if if we don't then you know ease ourselves a bit more into the game and make sure we stay solid but make sure those attacking four can get forward when they need to because That's how we're going to get all of our goals.
2: Excellent stuff. We've just about got enough time to let you know our cashy-back bet of the week. This week's chosen uh, by Mark CFC45 on Twitter. Nathan's away, so he he, uh, put it out to vote. Uh, So Mark's chosen uh, Forster Kasky 2-0, uh, Forsakowski first goal scorer 2-0 75-1 to so £2.50 would return £190 uh, winnings for the upbeats uh, right we've run out of time here on Chutton Live the big match for you thanks very much to Tom cheers thank you I've been Louis Mendes here on Chutton Live don't forget we'll be back on Sunday with our, our Sunday evening show as we look back at whatever happens against Southend and also look out for Chutton Live meets John Fortune which will come out at some point over the weekend we'll see you later
4: <laughs>